Welcome to the Georgetown Literary Festival's podcast, Windows of the Word. I'm Sharmila Ganesan. Uh, you might have heard my voice on BFM Radio, where I do the art show, the book show, and the movie show. Um, but uh, I'm also a writer, and um, I tend to write quite a bit about um, literature and the arts when it comes to Malaysia. And I'm very excited to be speaking to Jerome Bouchot, who is a publisher, a translator. Um, he's an editor as well, and uh, he is the founder of... Lettre de Malaysie. I hope I'm saying that right. And um, that is a portal on literature from Malaysia that is translated into French. He also founded Edition Gentayu, which focuses on pan-Asian literature and translation. Thank you for joining us, Jerome. And uh, thank you for bearing with my not-so-good French. Thank you, Sharmila. Thank you for having me. So, Jerome, you've been in Malaysia for about 12 years now and, um, you know, generally in Asia for quite a bit longer than that. But you didn't really start off in the literature field um, or even in translation. You, in fact, started off as a travel writer. So what drew you into the world of translating Asian works? Well, actually, if we were to go back uh, a little earlier than that, I, was, uh, I started off working uh, in the import-export industry. And that was uh, only for a short time. I mean, for a number of years, uh, I was uh, five years in China uh, where I was uh, working uh, for French companies, uh, selling wine for a while and also exporting, uh, building materials back to France, from China to France. And those five years in China actually uh, broadened my mind and opened my mind to a lot of uh, things when it comes to Chinese culture. And it also uh, made me want to explore and go back to one of my early interests, which was literature and language in particular. And uh, so after uh, these five years in China, I suddenly had a, a, some sort of a, a conscience uh, uh, call. I was called back to my earlier interest in literature, and I decided to apply for various gigs uh, as a travel writer in Asia. Uh, that was my first step into the, the publishing world, into the world of writing and in, into the, yeah, the, 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 this new, uh, this feeling of, uh, of having to go back to, to this particular interest that I had. And uh, so travel writing was uh, from 2008 till about 2014. And uh, that, of course, took me to many, many places uh, around Asia. I was actually, I settled down in Malaysia in 2008 and I was sent uh, for gigs around uh, the whole of Asia. So I went to, to Mongolia, to, to Burma, uh, to the Philippines, Indonesia, um, pretty much all over. And every time I was traveling to those places, uh, I, I was very much eager to, to know what was going on there in terms of um, in terms of uh, literature, in terms of uh, books being written and published, in terms also of books being translated uh, from these parts. Uh, as it happened, I, I got to meet and, and discuss uh, with a, a few translators uh, who lived there on the spot and who were, of course, very much eager to share as much as possible about about their experience of the local literature. They would translate either in English, sometimes in French, sometimes in other languages as well. And uh, from those uh, encounters, uh, I, I was I 
yeah, my interest in literary translation and and stories from these parts of the world only grew, and that's that's actually where I uh, I decided to to go further into into the literary field and into publishing myself. So after the six years of travel writing, uh, travel writing, I I, I call it. Uh, I called a stop to it and I, I ventured into publishing. So give us a sense of um, what kind of translated Malaysian works already existed in France, you know, before you came on board and started uh, actively putting out this kind of regular content. Not much existed, actually. Uh, very, very few works had been translated. Uh, if uh, if I recall correctly, I mean, the numbers were were basically of less than than one work per year over the past uh, 20, 30 years or so. And, and that's, uh, that's actually maybe an, ex- an exaggeration on my side. Um, so it's, it's, it were, there were very, very few titles that had been translated. Um, it's, uh, some of the works that, that had actually uh, gone and traveled all the way from uh, Malaysia to, to France uh, were actually more of classic works, uh, works by, uh, which were actually brought uh, over to France by scholars uh, from, say, the, especially from the, the 19th century onwards. And those works uh, included a lot of poetry, especially like Pantun. And Pantun traveled uh, quite early uh, from, from, from Nusantara to all the way to France. And uh, yes, sorry. And uh, uh, so the, uh, these were the, the, the first works that actually were brought uh, from Malaysia to France. And then there were a, a few uh, other uh, poems by contemporary writers that got translated and appeared in reviews <clears throat> here and there, such as uh, poems by Usman Awang, uh, poems by Muhammad Aji Saleh, uh, and poem, poems by uh, Latif Mohidin. And these were also like uh, among the, the very first works to be to appear in translation in the 1990s and early 2000s. So when I actually uh, ventured into that uh, publishing field, um, there were only very few uh, attempts made at actually bringing Malaysian literature to France. But there was already a, uh, a growing initiative, I would say, uh, from from Malaysian parts, from French parts as well, to to try and, and bring more. And yeah, ITBM uh, at some point was actually quite active in uh, and proactive in, in in bringing French literature, uh, Malaysian literature in French translation. They had a, a series of uh, Malaysian literature in, in 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 French translation. There have been these connections between Malaysian and French literature and, and history. Uh, they're not as immediately apparent as, say, our connections between British literature, perhaps, you know, other than names like Henri Fauconnier. Um, but uh, could you briefly explain, you know, who, who are the people or who are the connections that we can look back to, understand that names like Victor Hugo, even Baudelaire, are linked to Malayan literature? Yes, indeed. Um, so the, uh, as I said, the, the 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 very first attempt at bringing uh, literature from Nusantara to 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 France actually uh, was uh, through uh, through the 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 channel of those scholars who actually had uh, discovered uh, poetry from Nusantara and who who actually brought it over to to France. How it happened was. Uh, 
um, because back in the early 19th century, uh, uh, romanticism was all the rage in France and in Europe, uh, and there was some sort of a, a race to to more Orientalism, more uh, more exotic things to 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 be inserted and displayed in 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 French poetry, in German poetry. Goethe in German in Germany was of course very very much involved in that in that. Uh, uh, in that trend, uh, in France, uh, the the main uh, representative of that uh, of that trend was uh, Victor Hugo, and Victor Hugo was always uh, asking a lot of his contacts uh, for for uh, uh, Oriental content. He was always very much interested in in knowing what was going on uh, on the eastern side of. Uh, of uh, the the Mediterranean, and not only the Mediterranean, but uh, as far as as the East could go, and uh, there was this uh, young young fella. Actually, at that time, Hugo was pretty young, so that guy was a bit older than Hugo, and he's uh, he, this fella was in touch with uh, with Hugo. Uh, they were exchanging letters regularly, and uh, his name was Ernest Fouinet. And Ernest Fouinet uh, actually uh, got hold of a, a few uh, pantoon, uh, actually a, a series of pantoon known as uh, in Malay as pantoon berkait, and he he found them in a in a, a Dutch translation of the Malay grammar by William Marsden. William Marsden used to actually stay in 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 Malaysia in Malaya by, at the time, and he was a, a well-known scholar of. Uh, Malay language, and he wrote that uh, that book called uh, the uh, the Malay Grammar, and in which he actually uh, inserted a few pantoon, and that book got translated into Dutch, and that translation uh, was found by Ernest Fouinet, and he got and he actually read those pantoon, and there was one in particular that uh, that pantoon Berkait that he found very uh, very interesting, and that he passed on to Victor Hugo, and Victor Hugo fell in love with it, and and then he actually. Uh, inserted it in, in his own collection of poems that was called Les Orientales and which was published in 1829. And that pantoon is a, is a, a very well-known pantoon. It's a, 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 a pantoon burkite, so it's a long one, but then the, the, very, the very first quatrain, I, I think, would be quite familiar to, to, uh, to our listeners. Uh, it starts as Kupu Kupu Terbang Melintang Terbang Bilaut Di Hujong Karang <laughs> yeah, I know that one. Yeah, <laughs> so there you go. That's the one that actually that uh, that uh, that Ernest Fouinet found, and that he passed on to Victor Hugo, and then Victor Hugo passed it on to his French readers. But the story doesn't end here. I'm just going to make it very short. That the story doesn't end here. Uh, when he introduced that pantoon to French readers, he actually misspelled the word pantoon. Uh, in his uh, book Les Orientales, and instead of a final N, he actually wrote a final M for mother. Uh, so the, the pantoon became a pantoum, and that pantoum later on uh, was, uh, of course, uh, other poets tried their, their hand at it, including Baudelaire, as you said. And uh, and the the it was the the, the tradition of pantoum was caught, was actually uh, appropriated by by those French writers. They adapted it completely. They changed the rules to it. They made it uh, they made it like something completely new. And Baudelaire has a has a very f- famous uh, uh, pantoum that is still uh, learned today in French in French schools. 
And the word pandum, it, it has gotten stuck, hasn't it? That's right. It, it got stuck. And uh, so, the uh, of course, uh, it, it was a typo. Uh, at first, it was a, a, some sort of a typo. Uh, it was published and republished many times in that particular book, Pan, uh, Les Orientales. But then uh, it was uh, also used as is by 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 all the other poets, and it became uh, known as the French form of pantum. So there was the, the link with Malaysia and uh, Nusantara was uh, after a while got completely lost. It was basically only known to Victor Hugo and and Ernest Fouinet, the discoverer or the so-called discoverer of of pantum for for Victor Hugo. So that that's. From that time until very much uh, today, uh, in the 20th, 21st century, uh, Pantun became Pantum in the Western world. And it's only recently that uh, we've actually, I, but together with a lot of other uh, French-speaking poets, we've actually tried to, uh, to re-bring again that, that connection that links Nusantara to the French Pantum and the, the Malay pantoon to the French pantoon uh, by uh, going back to the roots and explaining where it came from and, and why it was actually uh, changed from pantoon to pantoum. So that actually brings us quite neatly, um, well, perhaps a few hundred years forward to the kind of work that you are now doing with Edition Genta, you or with uh, Lettre de Malaisie. Um, you know, why do, where do we see these kinds of translations fitting in, in this trajectory of this kind of literary exchange between France and Malaysia? Well, it's, uh, uh, it's, I would say it's uh, something uh, completely new in a sense. Uh, I, with Gentayu, I'm actually more focusing on, on, on contemporary writing and contemporary writers. Um, and, uh, so I, and I have this uh, particular appeal for, uh, for the short forms of, uh, of uh, writing, especially the, sh the short story. And uh, so Gentayu was actually very much uh, created to, to give more space to short stories uh, as it is. Uh, short stories are, are very much... Uh, a staple here in in uh, in Malaysia, not only in Asia, in Southeast Asia and all over Asia, it's actually a very central form of of writing for writers uh, in these parts of the world. Uh, whereas in France, uh, short stories have pretty much gone off the radar. I mean, they're they're still published, uh, but they they were especially big in the 19th century. And they, they slowly, slowly faded away, giving way to, to the novel. And the novel became really like the, the, the main uh, uh, staple for, for French readers. And the, basically, as a writer, if you wanted to, to make a mark uh, as a writer, you, you would have to, to write a novel. But here in, in, in Southeast Asia, I felt that the, the, the short stories were still very, very much the, the, the everyday staple when it came to, to reading. And I wanted to bring those short stories uh, over to, to French-speaking readers. So the uh, and I really focused on contemporary writing. I even though I, I had this uh, one foot on the on on the classical side via pantoon, I, I my main my and my my very much my core interest laid in 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 contemporary writing. So this. Uh, it, it was new because there, there's nothing, nothing, no translations existed really of uh, contemporary writers from from Malaysia. May they be writing in English or Malay or Chinese or Tamil? 
uh, or other languages, local languages, uh, there was really absolutely nothing except maybe in some academic uh, publications. And uh, so this was like, I, I think it was kind of like a, a, a fresh new start yeah, for, for, for literary exchanges between, uh, between Malaysia and France. So when we spoke earlier about the history of this kind of exchange, certain words that you used, they, they kind of jumped out at me, words like orientalism or, or appropriation. And, um, you know, when it comes to today's content, there's this question of, um, you know, this this power when it comes to this sort of exchange. Who's holding the power? Who uh, who holds the, the, gate, the gates, perhaps? Um, now, when you talk about the translation of contemporary content, how do you take these things into account and how do you make sure that the work that you're carrying back to France is avoiding um, these pitfalls as far as possible? Yes. Um, so the general idea and really the, the, the core concept of Gentayu is basically to, to try and, and, uh, and imp- bring more balance between uh between the the east and the west in that sense try to to recognize that uh, uh stories from other parts of the world are as much needed as as uh, stories from say france or the us of course we are uh, very much flooded by uh, novels and, and and stories from from the us and the english speaking world in general so the uh, my attempt with gentayu was trying to yeah, basically try to uh, bring some sort of a uh, of of balance uh, in in that in that aspect. Uh, it's not uh, as you say. It's uh, it's not easy also to to choose which stories to actually uh, bring uh, from uh, from from Malaysia or from Asia all the way to France. And for this, that's I think that's why the the choice of uh, focusing on on short stories and poetry as well is uh, is quite uh, is quite uh, a pertinent one in the sense that what people write in their short stories or in the poetry is in a way uh, maybe would feel more less accessible to to french readers uh, because the in the short stories and in the poetry uh, they're uh, the writers usually know that their, their main target is really the, the local reader. Uh, they, they, they would actually want to share like very local experiences or very local feelings uh, to, to, their, to their local readers. They don't actually expect much of a, a translation-wise. And uh, only those maybe writing novels would have maybe that ambition of bringing their work uh, abroad uh, because they know that, okay, the novels is what, is what travels best and... Uh, but when it comes to short stories, is uh, is uh, yeah, I would I I think that most of the the writers don't have very not many expectations when it comes to, to translations. Their their main public, their main readership is definitely the the the, the local readers, and uh, so uh, so there's for me finding finding stories that are interesting and uh, that are I think can speak to 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 French-speaking readers is, uh, is less difficult in a way uh, by uh, reading uh, short stories and, and poetry. And then I rely on a whole network of translators who speak various languages, who speak uh, like very fluent Malay, uh, who can read Indonesian, who can read Chinese, who can read all sorts of uh, Asian languages. 
and they themselves have been living, I think, long enough on the spot to actually kind of like really have a feel of the place and 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 they've they've actually uh, spoken and and met with uh, many locals and they're able to actually uh, bring stories that actually are not uh, what what we what french readers would expect and uh, always the same kind of stories uh, like for example uh, revolving around i don't know like from china maybe around the, the cultural revolution or these kind of stories but really new stories, uh, new, new news from those parts of, uh, of the world. So that's, that's how I try to, to go around that, 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 that issue of yeah, uh, appropriation and making sure that the stories and the, the words that we bring back actually have, are different. So speaking of the act of translation itself, you know, inevitably, these translated works are going to be intermediate, uh, they are going to be intermediaries, they are going to be mediated works. How do you, um, how do you capture the nuances and the subtleties, not just of the words, but, you know, also the cultural subtext? Yes, well, this, uh, as a, as a translator, uh, I mostly translate from, from English to French, and I, I deal with uh, other translators who translate from a range of Asian languages to, to French. And, and of course, when you translate uh, uh, from one language to another, you, you don't actually translate just literally uh, one word to another, and, uh, and uh, you, you think that it's going to read properly. You're also, of course, translating a whole a whole texture, uh, a whole, uh, uh, a whole uh, r rhythm, and 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 a whole view also, of course, of, of of the world from the language you are actually translating from uh, to to bring uh, this texture, this texture, this this uh, rhythm, this musicality, this sensuality from one language to another is, of course. Uh, very much the, the, the main challenge in, in term, when it comes to literary translation. Uh, nothing, is, uh, nothing is perfect. Uh, it's it's a, a challenge that, that's basically uh, unavoidable and that cannot be, cannot be truly and finally solved. Uh, there will always be a, a, some sort of a, a loss uh, when it comes to translating, say, a, a pantoon, uh, from uh, Malay into French, even just those four lines, uh, the small quatrain are maybe one of the most difficult things to, to translate uh, from from Malay to French because of all the, of course, the, the the rhyming, but also the internal rhyming, but also the musicality of it, and and the whole idea of this part of Nusantara, uh, this concept of the world that's actually carried through this short little form. Uh, how to actually bring this all the way to the to the French reader and make them kind of like feel and understand all this? That's a, that's a huge challenge. Uh, the only way to go about it is to to um, to know uh, very well the the where all this comes from and to find ways to to actually compensate whatever is lost uh, by a small gain and that make sure that. Uh, your the readers will be able to to feel 
all that is uh, uh, musical and 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 sensual about the the writing uh, through through French words. You know, I was thinking about what it is that you do and the way that you've come upon this and your career trajectory. Uh, you did used to be a travel writer. And this year in particular, most of us have been feeling, I suppose, cabin fever to some extent. We've been feeling cooped up. It strikes me that it's quite interesting that the two sides of what you've done, translation as well as writing about travel, um, it has this interesting way of allowing us to not just learn about other cultures uh, from the inside, but um, from uh, being able to, I suppose, sort of um, visit them in some sense. And uh, there is this idea of needing to take some sort of responsibility or having a sense of respect. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, yes, as I, as I said, the, the idea of trying to, to create a new balance in terms of what is translated and, and what is not and, and, uh, and uh, a respect in terms of, uh, of uh, countries or, or, or regions that have very, very little visibility right now on the publishing scene uh, and a responsibility to bring them forward and, and, uh, and make sure that their, their voices are heard. That's very much uh, part of of what I, I'm kind of trying to do with uh, with Edition Gentayu and the, all the, the the projects that I that I'm working on, and I, it's uh, yes, it's uh, it's it's an important uh, work. Uh, as as you may know, there's uh, uh, there's this big issue always that comes back uh, when it comes to translation in the English speaking world. There's this number of three percent always keeps coming back in the headlines and saying that uh, in the English-speaking world, only 3% of the, all the, the works that are translated every year, uh, uh, the, all the works that are published every year are actually translated works. And this is to be compared with, say, in France, uh, uh, about 20% of all the published works uh, in a year are actually translated works. Most of them are actually translated from the English, but there's a whole variety of languages that are also being translated. And this helps, uh, this helps give uh, readers uh, an, a, a much needed and, and brand new outlook on, on the world that surrounds them. And uh, I would think that uh, there are various reasons why, uh, why the English speaking world doesn't actually uh, encourage much uh, translation, even though several initiatives are being taken uh, by smaller presses to actually try and bring more uh, literary translated work uh, to the to the readers. But uh, yeah, there's also, I think, uh, some sort of a blindness to uh, to 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 stories from out that are not written in English in the English speaking world right now. That's uh, that's a, a bit tragic and uh, the the smaller countries like France and other European countries are actually uh, way way more uh, attentive to what's to what's uh, to what's happening around the world in terms of uh, literature and and uh, this uh, there's a growing need I think for for us to open us to open ourselves to to these stories uh, it's not uh, like it used to be uh, uh, the West first and then the rest. Uh, it's now very much an interconnected world, uh, with uh, and we need to share more to to understand each other more and to be able to actually, yeah, live in in, in greater peace with each other. I think that's that's the main, that's the the biggest uh, 
the biggest objective, the biggest goal uh, that you could assign to literary translation, uh, that we can actually try to understand each other more and 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 leave leave peacefully, uh, knowing each other's stories. But in some sense, then that the opposite is also a problem, isn't it? Because um, often you know the decision on who gets translated who which works get uh, get to travel i suppose um they are often uh, this tends to be determined by publishers you know some publishers decide for instance that this year we're focusing on this region or this country yes yes there is this uh, kind of like uh, institutionalized issue uh, in the world of publishing that's that needs very much to be uh, to be worked on and to be improved. Uh, it, publishing is an industry just like any other one. Uh, basically, profit is key. Prefers, profit is is the number one uh, issue that will decide that will decide what what gets published and what gets not. Uh, so, th- but that sense of responsibility is uh, uh, to to bring uh, other works works that are translated works that are translated from. Uh, less visible parts of the world. That's a responsibility that at the moment in the English-speaking world, at least, is only uh, taken and uh, uh, accepted by by small actors, smaller actors who actually are most of the time uh, funded uh, by uh, independent uh, benefactors uh, who actually rely maybe on state funding as well, and who work as nonprofits most of the time. The bigger actors, all the, the what you would call the, the the yeah the top five publishing companies in the U.S. or in the U.K., uh, they see translation as a as a as a as a bit of a problem for them because they're basically hoping to make as much money as possible, but then they have to pay for the translation costs, which which sometimes can can get quite high if it's for a, for one of those rarer languages, and those that cost and that idea that translations don't really sell, and that uh, you'd have to invest more into marketing such a work, always uh, always plays in, at the end in the balance of what gets translated and what gets not, and uh, so it's a challenge. Yeah, it's a, it's a big risk taken by all these. Uh, companies that are now trying to push more translations uh, in the English-speaking world, but anywhere in the world, in France as well, it, it's, a, it's a risk to, to actually publish a translation and try to, to, to bring on a, a new name on the, on the local stage to invest in that name and make sure that these stories are not always the same stories that we get to hear, but that they are actually bringing something new. Uh, that's uh, that takes that that would I think that is just a question of uh, of time. Eventually, hopefully, we will we'll get to we'll get to to read more more diverse and uh, more uh, more contemporary uh, and more relevant stories as well, and, and not only always the same rehash of what has been written before and from. Most, most sometimes, well, from the point of view of uh, written for, for for audiences that are mostly from the West. So, what would you say contemporary Malaysian literature has to offer to a um, to a French audience, to an audience that may not be so familiar with what Malaysian literature is today? Well, the, the um, contemporary Malaysian literature is 
is a is very interesting in the sense that it's multilingual, multicultural, and uh, it it has this uh, this very different feel whether you actually uh, read uh, by an author read uh, works by an author who writes in Malay and an author who writes in English and um, an author who writes in Chinese uh, or in Tamil in Tamil and and other languages you, you different stories actually circulate within Malaysia and not, are not always accessible uh, by all readers in Malaysia which is which is a, a pity but I think that that there's in there are a few there are a few initiatives being taken to actually improve that situation so th there is this uh, very uh, diverse context in Malaysia that, that is of course very very interesting and that would need to to be uh, I would think uh, uh, more promoted and, and 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 known outside of Malaysia. Um, recently, in Gentayu, I got to uh, to publish stories by uh, um, a story. It's actually not a story. It's a it's an excerpt from from an, a novel uh, by this Chinese writer by the name of Zhang Kuixing. Uh, Zhang Kuixing, who's uh, who's uh, who's a, a mainland. Uh, author of Chinese ethnic origin and who writes in Chinese and who's actually mostly known in, in Taiwan as it is uh, because he is very very few people know about him here only the the Chinese uh, language readers are able to to read him and he's what what he writes about is uh, especially interesting when it comes to uh, a Chinese point of view uh, on the uh, on um, what happens, uh, what happened uh, in uh, in on, on the Sarawakian side, uh, and there's uh, and these stories are totally, I mean, inaccessible uh, at the moment. Very, I I don't know of any translations uh, before. I know that translations will be coming soon into English and into French, but there's uh, there's a really a great diversity of of stories that are that are. That are written here in Malaysia, and that that would need a bit more exploring from uh, actors like publishers, translators, and and also literary agents uh, to actually try to to bring out more of these. And and I think also there there's maybe a responsibility by the from the from the writers themselves to to try and explore um, maybe also new new kinds of areas of topics. That haven't actually really been uh, fully uh, apprehended as yet. Uh, there, are, uh, but that's my maybe my Western uh, French side talking. So I, I cannot also try to come and impose my 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 views. But I would think that there are so many political intrigues going on, and uh, and um, and yes, uh, political events that have been. That have been happening. I'm not talking only about the big issues, uh, but also at the local level, at the local level stories that are, are happening every day on our doorstep that, that that could actually be of interest to really dig further into them and and try to to make sense of these uh, of these uh, of these stories and to and to actually uh, yes weave weave like really. Uh, uh, weave stories around those topics that are very contemporary and, and that I feel are re relevant to many, many countries 
around the world. Not only Malaysian, not only Malaysian readers are interested in these multicultural, multilinguistic um, landscape that they have. That they have French readers, I'm sure, would be so interested into in in these kinds of stories as well, because we we are in a way facing the the same same challenges as societies how we how we deal with the uh, multiculturalism and and multi-faith countries and these stories are are very much uh, contemporary and very much needed right now i would certainly like to read more of those as well thank you so much jerome you're welcome shamila I've been speaking to Jerome Bouchot, who is um, the who has been doing a lot of translating of Malaysian and Southeast Asian works for a French reading audience. Jerome is based in Langkawi. He founded Lettre de Malaisie, uh, which is a portal on literature uh, from Malaysia. He also founded Edition Gentayu, which focuses on Pan-Asian literature. Uh, this interview has been a part of the Georgetown Literary Festival podcast. I'm Sharmila Ganesan, and you've been listening to Windows of the Word. Thank you.